You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. This episode is brought to you by Ancestral Elements Supplements. With the changing seasons and the gathering together around the holidays, make sure your immune system is built up and protected with the Bear Clover Tincture. It's now 30% off through the entire month of December, so if you're looking to keep you or your loved one's immunity protected this winter, check out the Bear Clover Tincture. Go to AncestralElements.com, navigate to the Supplements page where you can find more information on the Bear Clover Tincture. Now, here's the episode. Hi, and welcome back. You're listening to episode 51 of the Ancestral Elements podcast. Entomophagy. Let it bug you. This week's episode is going to be all about bugs and the eating of insects, which is known as entomophagy. This is a practice that has deep ancestral roots and has been done since before Homo sapiens were even on the planet. This was done by very early hominids dating back millions of years, and it's a tradition that's been carried on until present time. Eating insects isn't something we normally think about as a category for food, at least not in the United States and very Western cultures. There's still a pretty deep-rooted practice throughout Mexico and throughout parts of Asia and Africa. They've maintained that relationship with insects and understanding that they've been a part of the human diet since humans have existed on this planet in our current form. And if you really are wanting to take advantage of extremely sustainable protein sources that can provide you with very good nutrients, insects are the way to go. So in this episode, I'm going to dive into the nutrient values that insects can bring to your diet. And also, I'm going to talk about how to incorporate them into our modern lifestyles. Because it doesn't need to be this extremely far out there, you going and catching bugs and bringing home and preparing them. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. There's ways you can kind of seamlessly integrate this practice of entomophagy into your current lifestyle. As a food scientist, I'm always looking for things that you can incorporate into modern food sources that can increase their nutrition a little bit. Anytime you can gain nutrient density in a modern food, I'm all for it. And insects in particular fit that bill in a very unique way. And I'll get into more about that later on in the episode. But first, I want to dive into the history of why people were using insects as food and as a nutritional boost, and how that's really shaped us as a human species in the past, present, and future. Because this practice of eating insects is definitely not dead, and it's going to increase in the coming generation. So if we go back about 3 million years or so and look at the early hominids, before fire was really a technology that was harnessed and widely used by early hominids, insects were the key to sequestering a lot of protein and calories. Because if you didn't have fire and you didn't have tools for hunting, then you were scavenging the landscape for especially protein. So you would scavenge carcasses for meat and things like that. But insects, you don't need any tools to hunt or to capture insects. You can just use your hands. You can gather a lot of insects, whether it's some type of larvae from a beetle or grubs in a log or ants. Insects provide pound for pound 
more protein and some insects more nutrients than beef, which is something that we have a hard time kind of wrapping our heads around. There's a huge push for sustainable beef, and I'm all for it. That's a fantastic thing to put your energy into. But we spend so much of our time when it comes to farming, trying to control pests, aka bugs, that we really don't often even recognize them as a food source. We just try to kill them. They're, they're pests. We don't want to incorporate them into our diet, which is an interesting thought to kind of follow through on because we could easily be incorporating some of these things in our diets. And it could be serving two purposes, one to provide us with good protein and nutrition, and the other to not use as many pesticides or some type of herbicide that is going to deter pests in our gardens, whether using organic pesticides or something more invasive like glyphosate or a derivative of that. If it honestly wasn't for eating insects in this practice of entomophagy, we really wouldn't be who we are today as a human species. That ability to gather enough protein and enough nutrients sustained our ancestors through thousands and thousands of years, generation after generation. As Homo sapiens came onto the scene about 300,000 years ago, that practice has remained. Entomophagy has really become a very tightly held tradition. And in some parts of the world, insects are considered a delicacy. And for sure, insects were considered a delicacy in America, at least up until the 1700s, when people started colonizing. You can easily go back into the anthropological record and see that most Native American tribes throughout the United States, and especially down into Mexico, were using a lot of bugs in their diets and in recipes. Grasshoppers, from the Great Plains were abundant, as well as crickets. So those get used and referenced extremely often in Native American cuisine because people recognize their value. Again, they were easy to hunt, they were easy to prepare, aka by roasting them over a fire, and they provided high nutrition. I think it's easy to forget how abundant insects actually are because most of us are living in suburban areas and cities where they're just aren't that many bugs. You know, even a hundred years ago, there were so many more insects. You couldn't get away from them. And so when I say they're easy to hunt or to gather, I mean, it was extremely easy. It essentially was a food source that could remain a constant throughout most of the year, which is a very, very valuable food source for people living a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. I mean, you have to take advantage of whatever food source is most abundant in your specific environment. And if that meant crickets or grasshoppers or beetles, that's what you did. As history goes on and we start to get further and further into agriculture, this practice of eating bugs kind of gets pushed to the back burner for most of the population that was in the practice of agriculture. And I think a lot of that was due to specifically agriculture and protecting crops. You know, instead of a food source, insects gradually started to become a threat, a threat to the crops that you were growing seasonally. So this mental shift changed for a very specific reason. It was, we need to get rid of insects to protect our crops. And so this mentality of them being just a nuisance or a pest and killing them off and not using them for a food source 
really kind of started permeating the culture. And so when you read stories about white settlers in America having to resort to eating insects again, it has this derogatory connotation of them basically starving to death because insects were considered a poverty food, a starvation food in kind of white settlers and agriculturalists' mindset. They were no longer considered a nutrient value because you could grow more desirable food and have ways to store it for the winter. So with that mindset, this whole practice of entomophagy in the West and particularly in North America got kind of purged out of the collective consciousness unless there was drastic circumstances at hand where you basically had to resort to eating bugs. The classification of insects is the animal kingdom, obviously, but anthropods are also a subclass of that kingdom. So all your crustaceans, like lobster and shrimp, so cockroaches fall under that category, as well as a lot of other insects. So lobsters, for example, were considered a poverty food. They were given to prisoners. It was prison food. It was considered basically trash food that you shouldn't be eating, where now lobster is considered more of a delicacy. So these things tend to ebb and flow a little bit. It just kind of depends on the connotation of the culture at the time. If you ever read accounts of peopling of North America, so the first peoples that crossed the Bering Land Bridge and came down through Alaska into the United States, the key thing to remember is at the end of the Pleistocene era, at the end of that ice age, those ice sheets, there was two main ice sheets that covered the continent of North America, which meant as that ice started to dissipate a little bit, there was a lot more surface water on this continent. There was massive lakes everywhere where basically all those lakes have turned into desert. So things like the Bonneville Salt Flats that I alluded to in the salt episode, that was a lake and a massive lake about the size of Lake Michigan which is hard to fathom. What I'm saying is there was so much surface water, it allowed for masses and masses of insects on this continent. And so the people that first came onto this continent, that was a very abundant food source and a recognizable food source because there was a lot of crossover in species that they could recognize. And not to mention, you had things like gigantic bison, you had things like camels and cheetahs and giant sloths all on this continent. You had millions and millions of hooved animals that are magnets for insects, especially in the prairies. So this whole ecosystem was basically primed for this continent to be just chocked full of edible insects, not to mention charismatic megafauna. But the insects, that's the easy go-to food. It's a lot easier than taking down a woolly mammoth. And so as people started settling across the United States and on the North American continent, that was a very easy go-to food source that people recognized and knew how to utilize. I mean, just imagine how terrifying it would have been to step foot on this continent and have no other humans here. And you're coming across somewhat recognizable species, but they're gigantic. You know, if you want to take down a woolly mammoth, that requires a lot of strategy, a lot of tools, and a lot of hard work. 
you know, killing it is one thing, but then processing it is a whole other undertaking that requires a massive amount of time, energy, and calories. And so the easy thing for a lot of protein are insects. They take no energy at all to gather up. You don't have to process them. You can roast them whole and they're ready to eat. So, you know, obviously we were hunting big game, but we were also micro hunting insects and a lot of them. And I'm not trying to make the case that one thing is necessarily better than the other, but it's important to realize the importance that insects bring to native peoples and that can still bring to our modern culture on the whole. If you compare a beefsteak to cricket flour, crickets have two to three times more protein, they're higher in every mineral and vitamin, and they're higher in every amino acid than compared to beef, which says a lot. Way less human inputs are needed to have a cricket farm than to have a ranch full of beef cattle. And it's not really fair to compare the two things because they're completely different species and you're going to get different things out of beef than you would out of, say, crickets. But as far as just a sheer sustainability, insects are a great way to cover a similar nutrient profile that you would get from some type of red meat. And there are a lot of research dollars being dumped into the research for insects and getting them into different types of food sources because they're so cheap to produce and sustainable. And I think really probably in the next decade or two, there's going to be a lot more insect flowers, for example, being incorporated into different baked goods. It's a very quickly emerging market. And I think it's just going to grow and grow, especially as the narrative switches for more sustainability. That's going to be an option that's going to be really hard to not utilize in our current kind of climate of shifting towards more sustainability, which you're already starting to see. There's 3D printed food with kind of ground up insects with larvae and mealworms and things like that, which honestly, I, I personally don't love. You know, I'm glad it's in there in a way, but the amount of processing that food goes through is just as much of an issue as any other ultra-processed food from a lab, which kind of segues me into the way you want to be consuming insects if you choose to consume them and make them a part of your diet. Now, as stated earlier, roasting is the best way to consume insects. Now, that can be done by going and harvesting insects yourself and roasting them in the oven, or you can utilize something like cricket flour which is probably the easiest thing to get your hands on at this point. Roasted cricket flour is a very valuable nutrient source. You can add it into baked goods, things like chocolate chip cookies or brownies, and you're just going to increase that nutrient profile. And honestly, it's just a light, subtle, nutty type of taste. It's surprisingly subtle. And if you sneak it into baked goods, which is my favorite way to use it, it's honestly, it's hard to really know what's in there. But as with any food, the process that that food goes through in the processing of it is very important for its nutrient integrity. So here's an example. Crickets a lot of times are boiled and then freeze-dried and ground up into flour that way. When you boil any insect, and I'll post a study to this in the show notes, but it clearly shows in the research that when you boil an insect, they compared beetles and crickets in a boiled method to 
whole roasted method. And when you boil it, you lose a lot of the nutrients in the water. It basically, the water will just kind of leach out a lot of the minerals, especially. So zinc and calcium and magnesium and phosphorus get leached out into the water. And so you lose a lot of those minerals in boiling when you whole roast them. So basically with the innards intact, you maintain all of that nutrient integrity. And that's what you need to look for if you're buying something like a cricket flour. Make sure that it's just roasted, that basically you're just getting whole roasted ground insects. You can find that on Amazon at retailers. There's a number of websites. I mean, you could just enter cricket flour into a Google search and you get a whole long list of companies that are producing cricket flour. But just make sure that you're getting a roasted cricket flour. And I really want to, I want to point out that that goes for any food. The way that a food is processed, meaning the way it's broken down into edible portions of whatever it is, Really, that's what makes the difference between a high-nutrient food and a low-nutrient food. Meaning, if it's not processed well to ensure that you're keeping the nutrient value high as you're processing it into edible portions to prepare with, to cook with, then you're really doing that food a major disservice. And you're doing yourself and your loved ones a major disservice. You know, there's a tendency to think about processed foods just being kind of the junk foods that we think of, chips and crackers and cookies and all of those types of foods. And that's not what I mean when I say processed. I mean taking a whole food and making it into a usable food item for dinner, for example. Every food takes processing. It's very rare that you can take a food out of the wild or off the farm and just stick it into your mouth. That's not really how food works. There has to be some type of process to ensure the nutrient value is going to be absorbed into your body. That can be done through cooking. It can be done through fermenting. It can be done through a whole long list of means. But processing doesn't equal bad. But it's important to remember the way that things are processed really does ultimately shape its nutritional value. And crickets are a great example of this. So really what I'm getting at is a 3D printed cricket paste in a fun shape for your kids is not going to be the same or even close to the amount of nutrients you will get from a roasted cricket. So basically, as the future kind of unfolds, just make sure you start to pay attention to how things are prepared and or processed because it could just turn into basically a very low nutrient food. It's important to keep that in mind. And that goes for any food. Another interesting thing to point out about eating insects is it can be a great way to kind of reintroduce animal foods to people that have previously been vegan. You know, I understand the sentiment around being vegan and wanting sustainability, and really caring about animals. I totally understand that, and I totally wholeheartedly agree with it. But it poses extreme nutritional difficulty living and eating a diet that's void of the animal kingdom. And so if people are coming out of that, approaching that, having something to offer them that's highly sustainable, that they don't feel quite as guilty about, because people don't really tend to care about insects like they care about the charismatic 
megafauna on our planet. You know, I don't think too many vegans care about, you know, the insects that they kill with their car, for example. Some might, but I don't think anybody's losing sleep over that. And if you do and are listening to this, I'm sorry that you do. And you probably shouldn't because honestly, death is, well, you can't get away from it. But that's neither here nor there. So if you can approach somebody who's curious about adding animal foods back in in a sustainable, thoughtful way, this could be an answer, especially if you can incorporate it into foods that they're already familiar with. You know, as I mentioned earlier, incorporating it into baked goods, for example, is a great way to increase nutrient density in those foods. But also you can add it to things like a vegetable curry or a smoothie. You know, you can add cricket flour, for example, into a whole long list of different foods. And honestly, there's going to be a market for those foods in the coming years. There's already research going into adding cricket flour to cakes. You know, you do what's called a sensory panel and you have a control group and then you have, you know, your cricket flour group. And I've done sensory panels in my undergrad research where basically you just feed people cake and they can try to distinguish it between a regular piece of cake and whatever foods you're incorporating it in. And they don't know which is which. And so you try to get it as close as you can to the original product without sacrificing too much palatability. And that research is taking place all the time with insect flowers. And so there's going to be a point where you're going to see a market emerge for these foods, you know, whether it's Betty Crocker cake mix with some cricket flour or some other company. You know, there's companies that are doing whole roasted crickets. I just bought some the other day and they're delicious. You know, these were chipotle and lime seasoned cricket with pumpkin seeds, which is a very traditional food. You know, again, great protein, great nutrients in a food like that. And it's honestly not as weird as it sounds to eat those foods. If you just kind of pop a mouthful of whole roasted crickets with some pumpkin seeds in that has some seasoning on it, it's almost like eating popcorn or something akin to that. It's just this kind of light, you know, kind of airy, crunchy texture. There's not much to it. I mean, a cricket is very small when it's roasted, you know, and it has very mild flavor. Like I said, just kind of a nutty flavor. There's, it's really not a bad tasting food at all. You're not sacrificing taste when you partake in eating insects. And I think crickets are a great way to get people started on it. Like I said, they're readily available in multiple forms. You know, I have cricket flour sitting in my cupboard right now. It's something that you can utilize. You know, it's not something you would have to eat daily or weekly or even monthly. But, you know, like I said, throwing into some dishes here and there, all you're doing is rounding out more diversity of species in the animal kingdom. The more diversity you can get within the animal kingdom, the better. You know, it's so common that in North America, we eat beef, chicken, fish. We rarely, most of us rarely branch out to other species. And there's so many other species, especially when you're looking at this classification of insects and anthropods. There are tons of them. So the more you can incorporate those occasionally throughout the year in your diet, the better off your nutrition is going to be and the better off the microbiome and your genetics are going to be. And that's really ultimately what all this comes down to. It comes down to diversity. And just because a food isn't common anymore in the current culture doesn't mean it isn't useful still. And I think insects fit that category superbly well. And it's something that I think for most individuals, 
it would be a smart thing to at least consider putting back into your diet. You know, diversity is one of those topics in nutrition and in diets where a lot of people just get it completely wrong. You know, especially when you get into some type of fad diet like keto or veganism or carnivore, you know, any diet like that where you start restricting different types of kingdoms and restricting whole classifications of food. You're missing out on so much individual species diversity that you could partake in. You know, if you're carnivore and you're basically only eating beef, which a lot of them do, you are depriving yourself of so many nutrients. It quite literally is not sustainable. It's just the other side of the coin of veganism. You know, veganism, same thing. You've cut out the animal kingdom completely. You're depriving yourself of crucial nutrients. But if you're omnivore and you're just eating, you know, beef, chicken, fish, you're again depriving yourself of crucial nutrients in a well-rounded diet. And it gets boring. It's not that exciting to just eat beef, chicken, and fish, you know, and maybe the occasional shellfish. I mean, diversity in a diet keeps the palate interested and kind of updated, if that makes sense. You have to get used to food sometimes. No one wants to eat like they're six years old when they're 45. You know, if you come across adults that are extremely picky with their foods, like they're a child, to me, it's a bit unattractive. <laughs> and I'm sorry if you're like that and listening to this. But it's time to grow up a little bit and start diversifying the palate. And I don't mean to make that sound super harsh or offensive. I mean, I really don't mean to be. But if you aren't used to eating foods, you're not going to like the food. And you're certainly not going to crave the foods. You only crave foods if you're used to eating them. So what I'm saying is eating insects may sound crazy because you're not used to eating them. And you may not even realize that you like them or need them. But this was a staple food that have quite literally shaped the human species and made us who we are today. And it was really only a social cultural shift that made these foods less popular. And it's only like that in basically the Western world. And that's the thing about food and eating in general is it's a cultural phenomenon just as much as it is a biological necessity for adequate nutrients to perpetuate the species. It has just as much influence in a culture and society of people and individuals as it does in your biological system. And so there's a lot wrapped up in that, as we see with these extreme diets. But there needs to be some middle ground. Again, just because a food gets kind of pushed outside of a culture doesn't mean that it doesn't have nutritional importance and value in that culture. So really, I think that it's time we rethink this practice of entomophagy and that we incorporate it into this modern food system that we're in. It's interesting to be on the cusp of an emerging industry that has deep antiquity to it, so deep ancestral past where you have this quote-unquote new emerging market in insect powders, where insect powders have been used for millions of years. There's nothing new about this. But it's one of those foods that we've forgotten about and worse yet, demonized. And so be aware that this market is coming because you'll be able to see the shortcomings of it much more readily than if you know nothing about it. And that's the biggest thing that I can impart on you, the listener, is that you've got to understand 
the processing of these insect powders and know that there's a difference in nutritional value on how it's processed. So the more you can be up on this before these markets get really big, the better off you're going to be from your own nutritional standpoint because it's coming. So don't be surprised when you start seeing a big boom in insect powders being on the market. And I've posted a few references in the show notes. Feel free to take a look at those. There's some studies on nutrient values of insect powders, but there's also links to kind of concepts around sustainability and how to be thoughtful in incorporating this ancestral food back into your modern diet because it deserves some reverence and respect. You know, this is a food that has carried us to this exact point in time. And so making sure that you're getting the highest quality of that food and better yet, supporting the companies that are choosing to do it the correct way should be your number one goal. I mean, luckily, it's a small enough niche market to where you can pretty easily pick out the best insect powder. You don't have, you know, there isn't thousands of companies producing insect powders at a really cheap, low cost way to keep cost down to compete, which I imagine that's eventually what we're going to see. We're going to see an influx of more companies kind of competing for a prominent space in this kind of alternative powder market. But right now, it's pretty easy to pick the good ones, and there's multiple of them. So just be thoughtful in your approach to this is what I'm saying, as you should be with any type of food that you're putting in your body. You should have reverence for that food and understand what has gone into that food in your past, in the present, and then what happens in the future as a result of eating that food. Be mindful and thoughtful about the type of insect powder that you're choosing. Just because our culture doesn't really place much value on insects, you know, we see them smashed on our grills of our cars and we step on them all the time and kill them at the ready when they get into our homes, doesn't mean they don't have value as a food source. So if you're going to eat them, choose companies that choose to do it right and take a chance. Try to expand your palate a little bit. I'm fairly certain a lot of you listening will actually think it's a pretty good food to eat. You know, it's, again, not that expensive and give it a shot. If you guys are curious about the crickets I was eating with pumpkin seeds. I actually made a post on my Instagram page. If you'd want to take a look at them, I linked to the company on there so you can order your own crickets if you want to try them. Um, you can, like I said, order cricket flour. I'll link to the cricket flour I have that I purchased and experiment with some recipes, especially with the holidays coming up with baking. See what you can do. It'll probably surprise you. Okay, that is going to do it for another episode of the Ancestral Elements podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you guys this next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements podcast. If you like what you're hearing, leave me a rating and review. This will ensure that people can find the podcast so that we can grow the audience, and it will help me secure guests for future episodes. If you have suggestions on what you want to hear on upcoming episodes, go to AncestralElements.com and leave me a comment. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts and inputs and answer any questions that you may have. 